Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ben Robertson. If we've not met, uh, I would love to, to meet you afterwards. And I'm a campus minister with Reform University Fellowship over at the college at William & Mary. Um, we're going to be taking a little break from the Romans uh, series. Uh, Dennis said, just do something. Uh, preach whatever you want. So here we go. <clears throat> um, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10. And Jesus uh, has been gradually revealing uh, who he is to his disciples and to the other followers. And he's been telling them, uh, that they need to be more like children, and later he's going to tell them to, uh, to receive children with honor, to be humble. And we're going to pick up here where Jesus encounters a young man. It's a familiar story if you've grown up in the church. You've probably heard this one quite a bit. I want you to try to imagine that you've never heard it before uh, and let it make you uncomfortable. Uh, let's try that together. So Mark chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 17. We'll eventually get all the way to verse 31. The word of the Lord. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and he asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, One thing you lack, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's stop there and pray. Lord God, we ask that you would meet with us, that you uh, would show us the depth uh, and the breadth of your riches and your worth, and that we would forsake all for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. A friend of mine who uh, was a former campus minister with RUF, uh, the job that I do here at William Mary, he, he did that at Savannah College of Art and Design, and now he works in sort of a national position in RUF. He lives in Missouri. He's a coordinator. His name is Michael Gordon. Uh, good friend. We've known each other for years, overlapped uh, in different phases of life multiple times. And uh, he, he told a story about when he was in college as a college student. He was a member of a church. He was a believer. And like many of you do, uh, he, a family uh, in his church had invited him and some friends over. Can we do the adopt-a-student thing? So they invited some college students from church over for dinner. And uh, <clears throat> when they were calling to make the plans to kind of confirm what time to come over, the family got in touch with Michael and they said, You know, um, uh, we're, we're really excited to have you and, and your buddies over. And just wanted you to know our children are really excited about it. They love having college students over, and they're particularly excited about you. When we mentioned that you were coming, they, they got really excited. And so Michael's feeling you know, pretty, that's kind of cool, you know, like not only is he getting to go over for dinner and, and hang out with his family, but he's, kinda, he's the cool one, you know, he's the popular one, the kids are excited about me. He's like, you know, a little confused, but, you know, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, it's nice to be wanted. So they show up at the house for dinner, him and his buddies, and the door opens and the kids are there to greet them. And then he sees a look on the kids' faces as they all walk in, and they are looking at Michael, and they look first confused and then disappointed. And then one of the boys goes off to the side, and he's kind of fighting back tears. You know, he's upset. And the dad goes over to him, and he's like, hey, buddy, what's, you know, 
what's the matter? And he said, I thought you said Michael Jordan was coming to dinner. And uh, yeah, Michael said, you know, like, other than the one letter, there's, very, uh, there's one letter difference in our name. And other than that, that's where the comparisons between me and uh, Michael Jordan end. It's where the similarities stop. And it's so tough. You know, identify with that kid when you're expecting one thing and then you get another, right? Um, and this, this rich young man is expecting something, and the disciples are expecting something as well, as we'll see. And, and you and I really are, too, that Jesus gives this unexpected answer. And if we're honest, it's pretty disappointing. Um, it's not exactly, at first, what we thought that we wanted well, why is this unexpected, Jesus' response to this young man? Uh, first, uh, he's, well, two things. He's, he's a good guy, and he's a rich guy. He's a good guy and a rich guy. And these two things in that culture were thought to go together. If you are a righteous person, if you follow God, you'll be rewarded with wealth. And if you're wealthy, it probably means uh, that you have earned it or deserve it in some way. And we still, to some extent, think that today, right? We think that in our culture, often in general, and even in the church, that, uh, you know, we that must be doing something right. And this, is, this man who approaches Jesus, you would want him to be your neighbor. He keeps the law. He, he's respectable. He's respectful. Uh, he does what is right, and he has resources that would make him uh, somebody that you would want to live near and around. You would want him. And it's offensive um, even, even if you know this story, even if you know Christian theology, and the disciples, as we'll see, are confused by it as well. And this man, he goes, he goes away grieved. Jesus brought Michael Gordon to dinner, and he cried. How do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of Jesus' response? Well, first, Jesus, before answering the question, he Asks another one, you know, why do you call me good? And then he makes this statement, no one is good. No one is good except God. Why do you call me good teacher? And that is, this is a hard, it's a hard saying, we might say. Often as I'm uh, meeting with students on campus, particularly non-believers, but Christians as well, this idea in the Bible that no one, no human being can be fully, in the full sense, good. You know, I've had a student ask me, look, I... Christians, it seems like you're saying, like, Gandhi doesn't cut it, but if Hitler were to just repent and receive Jesus, he's in. Like, how do, how do I accept that? I don't, this is not something I can really get on board with. Um, when we talk about how no one is good, how we're all sort of thoroughly and utterly sinful, the big theological term that's often thrown around is totally depraved. Here's sort of the idea. We prayed about the coronavirus in the, in the prayer. So we've got like a, a bunch of Gatorades up here, and I've got this little vial with coronavirus, and this is like 100% total pure coronavirus, and I just take the dropper, and I drop it in each cup, and then like, that's what we're having for communion today, instead of, like, that, that Gatorade is totally not good, right? Even though it's not, it's not, it's bad, it's not, it's, it's not, so Hitler might have been like super evil in every way that he did every little thing, and you might look at another person and be like, he's better. But there's still this idea in the Bible that, you know, that, that, that sin has sort of permeated even our best deeds. We have these ulterior motives and these other things, and Jesus is going after the man's heart. And he's saying, this, one thing you lack, there's something you still need to do. You need to sell everything you have, and you need to give it away. And the man walks away 
distressed. Because when Jesus says, you know the commandments, you know, have you kept them? And the guy's like, yeah, I have. And Jesus is like, well, hang on. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you haven't. Um, and Jesus really, he reveals a couple other of the Ten Commandments that he doesn't mention. When he says, sell everything you have uh, and give it away. Um, Jesus is God. And the first commandment is to, you know, no other gods before me. So I'm going to tell you this thing that you have to do that's totally radical, and you're going to have to go do it just because I said so, because I'm your God. You can't keep it. And the last commandment is thou shalt not covet. This man is wealthy. He's rich. You would assume that there's a degree of greed going on in here, like part of what we want when we want to be wealthy is to have a little bit more than our neighbor. The first and last commandments, Jesus exposes that this man has already broken without knowing it. And he's saying, you're not, you're not as good as you think to love God and to love neighbor with your whole self. He's demonstrating to him the thing he had just told him. You, you called me good. Do you know what that means? You say you've kept the law. Do you, is your heart there? And through all of this, he's demonstrating this point to this man and to his disciples and to us that Jesus is not an add-on to our lives. This man wants to know, Matthew tells us explicitly, what good deed do I still lack? What do I need to, to add to what I've already done to inherit eternal life? How can I, what, what more can I do to make sure that I'm in? Um, I use Chrome browser primarily on my computer, and I have this amazing plug-in that I love to tell people about called Honey. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and Honey's really cool. Like if I go to Amazon, it tells me if there's a cheaper price somewhere else cool. And other, other websites, it'll automatically search the internet for discount codes and automatically plug them in. And there have been times where I've made a purchase that saved me like huge amounts of money. It's really cool. Add-on. It's this addition. It's this plug-in. Jesus is not a plug-in on your Chrome browser of life. He's not here to sort of improve us a little bit or to, to polish off the edges. He's not here to enhance your life. He's here to replace your life. He's here to take it over and Jesus is, says, take everything you have and give it away. Quick sidebar. This is the only time Jesus tells an individual this. about it. it's, What's shocking about what he's saying is not give to the poor. The Bible is replete with commands. So if this man believes himself to be a faithful Jew who's following the commandments of God, giving and helping uh, the poor would have been just part of his life. It's something he's already doing. But this statement of you can't inherit eternal life until you give it all away 100%. Sometimes it's been understood to think that that's sort of how we're supposed to go. But he is saying it specifically to this man because Jesus sees his heart. It's similar to when he goes to Abraham and he says, give me your son, your only son. Um, we might say he would go to a supermodel and say, um, I want you to eat at McDonald's 10 times a week. And then one thing you lack. He might go to um, a straight-A student and say, one thing you lack, I want you to binge Netflix the weekend before midterms. Um, what is this thing that is your identity, the thing that is most important to you, and give it away? Take that thing that you think that gives you life, that gives you meaning, that is the source of your identity and your confidence, and give it away. Because without me, it will kill you. It will take your life away. And it seems harsh. He just gives him these, this, the cold, hard facts. 
It seems harsh, yes, but it says, I love this, it says in verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said, give everything you have away. That's what you lack. One thing you still lack. Everything. Just one little thing. All of it. It seems harsh, but it is loving. How is it loving? Because he's showing the man and his disciples who were there. He's, he is showing him something better. Something better in store. And there's this idea, no one is good. If everyone has to give everything away, how does, how does this work? Jesus goes on. His disciples are confused too, and Jesus knows it. Verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children. I love that. He calls them children. He's just been talking about being like a child and receiving children. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Jesus is showing them the impossibility of our salvation. Um, It is not possible. You've heard this before probably, that there is this gate outside of Jerusalem that's called the eye of the needle. And for camels to get through, they can squeeze in, but it's really tight and you kind of like... The, the people with the camel have to sort of get it down on its knees and sort of pull it through and shove it through. And like with a tremendous amount of effort, uh, you can get the camel through. Uh, it, probably heard that before. It's not true. Um, it, it appeared um, at some point in the last uh, couple hundred years in some sermons. And then it sort of got repeated and passed around because it kind of sounds appealing. It sort of makes sense of what Jesus is saying. There's no archaeological evidence for that. Uh, at all or historical uh, evidence for this eye of a needle Um, it's not recorded anywhere why why did we feel the need to fabricate that at some point because what Jesus is saying is just so offensive and radical like he he means a needle like needle and thread here's how rich people get in like this and his disciples of course uh, are like what Uh, That's not possible. That is his very point. His point is that it is impossible. And the disciples, uh, they they say, wait a second. There's a podcast I like to listen to that's just called Hold On. And uh, it's one comedian interviewing other comedians and listening to their act. And then in the middle of the act, he'll say, hold on. And they'll stop the recording and he'll ask them follow-up questions. It's sort of what the disciples are doing here with Jesus. Whoa, stop the tape. What did you just say? But who can be saved? This, doesn't, this is impossible. Because they are understanding his point. And they are hearing it. And it is blowing up their minds. Who can be saved? And then he says, but yes, it is impossible. That is his point. For you, but by God and his grace, it is possible. Children, listen. Children are dependent. 
Children are small. Children are weak. Receive the kingdom like a child. Receive children into the kingdom. He is unmasking the disciples and this man's self-sufficiency and self-dependence and this idea, this delusion of control that Jesus elsewhere calls the deceitfulness of riches can create for us. The sense that we have this idea that that we are going to be safe and in control and worthy apart from dependence upon him, which makes it impossible to be like a child and to receive his grace and his kingdom. Do you feel self-sufficient, self-reliant, or do you feel that you are in need? And Peter is picking up what Jesus is laying down. Verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. You, you feel that? And Peter's sort of asking two things here. Like, you just told that guy to sell everything and give it away. One, like, are we in? Like, did we do it? Did we do the thing that you... are? How is this? It doesn't seem possible. Am I, are we in? How is God going to make this possible? And, and two, like, we left everything. Is this going to be worth it? Because if, if I've already given up everything and you're still going to tell me i got to get through the eye of a needle, like, I've got this fishing business I can go back to. i got a wife. Um, is this worth it? First, uh, how are you going to make this possible? Am I in? Um, this is a beautiful thing. Jesus tells the rich young man, give up your riches and give it away. He gives that command, having already fulfilled that command himself. Jesus is the rich young man. Jesus gives up everything. We sing, thou who wast rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake, became as poor. And he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself, so great, for, so great his love, and bled for all his chosen race. We sing in the hymns. This notion that Jesus leaves his wealth and his splendor at the right hand of his father, and he enters into our world and becomes poor, and gives his whole self away to the poor, to us, to the needy. And Jesus is saying, you cannot do it. No one is good but God alone. With you it is impossible, but with me it is possible. You can know it, and you can have it, and you can be redeemed, and you can be saved. And because he has done it for you, you can now follow in his footsteps. Because he has given you everything, we can have an open-handedness towards the world, both with our resources financially and our whole lives and gifts and talents and everything in between. Then the next question of uh, how do we get in? How is this possible? But is it, is it worth it? Jesus is speaking to them. He's answering this too. Verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last 
and the last will be first. See, Peter and the others, they had given up so much already to follow Jesus. But they had only just begun. Like the, Peter himself will eventually be, be killed for this game that they are playing together. And Jesus is telling him now in the middle of the ministry, it is worth it. It is worth it. You can give it all away, and it is not for nothing. This idea that, I love that he says, even here and now. When you enter into my kingdom, you join my family, and you are connected to the family of God and the people of God all over the world. That's part of what we love and what we enjoy as a church community here, both the connections with one another, but also with the whole uh, the whole world that we are united to, brothers and sisters and mothers and houses that we have together with persecutions. He does say it's going to continue to be hard, but it is worth it. And ultimately, eternal life. This grand reward of his father's kingdom when he finally returns and things are restored and he says, well done, good and faithful servant to you. In this passage, he says to the rich the wealthy, to the self-sufficient, you cannot do it. Give it all away and follow me. And to the weak and to the poor and to the struggling who are following him through his disciples, he says, it is worth it. Follow me. The last will be first and the first will be last. I think if we're honest, it, it, even if we're doing okay financially, there's so often we're Following God just feels hard. And you do begin to say, like, there's, I'm feeling this, all sorts of pressures in life, and this does not feel worth it. Is God going to make good? Um, I watched a documentary a few years ago that I've probably thought about two or three times a month ever since. I'm going to tell you about it. Um, it's about a man named Sixto Rodriguez. Um, and Sixto was a... Um, construction worker in, in Detroit. He worked on a demolition team, uh, and he, uh, he was born in 1942, and the main story happens in the, sort of the mid-late 90s of his life. He was working on this construction crew, living by himself in a small place in Detroit. He was a sled, sledgehammer guy. You know, we go in, like, we're going to tear out this apartment building, renovate it. He's on the crew, swinging the sledgehammer, tearing buildings apart. And in the late 90s, he gets a phone call from his daughter, and she says, Dad, um, a journalist from South Africa wants to talk to you. And I saw this post online about it, and do you want to talk to him? So uh, Rodriguez, Sixto Rodriguez, whose stage name is Rodriguez, he, uh, he was a musician, and in 1970 he made an album called Cold Fact. Uh, and he released it, and it didn't really sell. Like it made it at a small producer's office in Detroit. Didn't really sell that many copies. Kind of gave up the music thing, went into construction, living his life, doing his thing. Well, um, he talks to this journalist, and they're like, you know, actually, you've got a pretty big following here in South Africa. And um, we actually, there was a rumor going around that you had died. You didn't make any other albums, and then... Um, after Al Gore made the internet for us, we um, looked, did some research. We found the producer of your album. We called him, and he said that you're not dead. And we had thought that, and things had been complicated, if you don't know, uh, in South Africa and being in, you know, connected to other things. And uh, 
you know, we, we want to bring you over here and like have a little concert. We're, like, we're excited that you're alive and you've got some people here. And so uh, he and his daughter fly to South Africa. They fly into Cape Town. And they still don't really know what they're expecting. And they get off the plane, and there's a limousine out front, and they go to walk around the limo uh, to find... And they're like, no, the limo's for you. <laughs> so they're ushered onto a limousine. They're driving through the streets of Cape Town, and they're seeing posters hanging from the lampposts on the street with his album cover on it announcing the concert that's coming out. Taken to a five-star hotel, given the royal treatment, show up at the concert hall where there have been three sold-out shows consecutively, and it's like this large stadium. Turns out he was not, he was like more than a little popular, more than a small following. Uh, one of the guys, he had sold more albums than the Rolling Stones and Elvis in South Africa. It's a household name. They said, if you collected records, if you were a family that like collected the music of the time in the 70s, he said, every family had three albums Abbey Road, Bridge Over Troubled Water, and Cold Fact. Uh, he's huge. And so there he is on stage playing his song to this sold-out crowd. And the whole, the whole stadium is singing along with all of these songs he wrote almost 30 years ago. Word for word. And for the last 25 years, he's been swinging a sledgehammer thinking nobody ever heard his record and cared. That nobody cared about his music except his family. And the record producer who said it's pretty good, Rodriguez. And I love that story. It's just this overwhelming, like, like, unbelievable, sort of in the history of technology and communication, like, could never happen again. This amazing thing. And Jesus is saying to us, you know, you, you <laughs> Peter, you've given it up. You've given up everything, and you're following me, and you're swinging your sledgehammer, and you're trying to stay faithful, and you're making these sacrifices, and you're praying, and you're dealing with the pressures of the world and your own doubts and struggles and questions. And he is saying, people, children, listen, I've got something waiting for you. It is worth it. Nobody notices. Nobody cares. Nobody may be giving you honor in this life, but you will receive it. I have something more for you from your people and from my face itself. To see the smile of God on the last day saying, welcome, children. Well done. Enter into my kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would show us glimpses of your grace to us. That we would know that it's not by our own efforts or our own goodness, but sheerly by your grace. And we thank you that you have so generously poured yourself out for us. May we see you and know you and receive you like children. We pray this in your name. Amen.